Well, welcome to the podcast today. I hope this time I didn't give you a heart attack by screaming into the microphone. I apologize. This is my second episode, and I am working on my favorites list right now. I'm going to go live uh, on YouTube uh, while I do this, and that's going to be on my YouTube channel, Dog Go Running. And currently, we are live. How's it going, folks? I'm also doing a podcast at the same time, giving it a shot, just kind of experimenting here, seeing how all this goes. Well, today, I am looking at a few things. I have uh, an intro that I need to do for my collection, so I have to kind of explain my collection uh, in a short video, Uh, you know, something that shows maybe the rarest knife I have. Well, here are the instructions. I got a 10-minute video, an intro to my collection, which my collection is not all here. So I have to summarize that. This is my travel collection. This is what I carry with me uh, so I don't freak out because like any other hobby, I'm, I'm going to be working on my house for two years. I wanted to bring some knives with me so I had something to look up, something to share. If I went to a meet, I, w- I wanted to be able to trade some uh, because that's what I do. Um, so what we have is I'm also going to be looking at um, the size of my collection, how it's organized, um, valuable, rarest, and most sentimental knives that I have. Um, And that's going to be with the collection that I have here. Um, Obviously, our most sentimental knives, and if you agree with me, that is a huge share, please, if you could, um, are the ones that our parents maybe carried, maybe our father, if not our mother. Uh, My mom carries a couple pin knives throughout her time. Uh, those were given to her by her great, her aunts, which passed away when they were 98 years old. A lot of these knives are old. They, uh, <clears throat> it was really popular for the females to either have pearl-handled knives or celluloid knives, which would be more sparkly and, uh, you know, be more like a jewelry kind of thing. So today we're going to be looking at, what do we have? We have one of my favorite knives, <clears throat> and this is a case tested stag and the pattern number on this is a 5261 um this this is a pretty nice knife um it's stag Uh, it's got two blades on it it's absolutely beautiful and i'm going to show this to you guys um check out the stag handles on that I'm keeping the light low. Let me see if I can turn up the light just a little bit. I don't want... I want to show it off, the shadowing of that knife. Really pretty knife. Real pretty. Check that out. No cracks or anything like that. I absolutely love this case-tested knife. It also has an easy open feature on the side. Easy open feature is uh, like a thumb stud or or an area where your thumb could go in and, and... access the smaller pin blade okay and then it has a master blade i'm going to show you this knife and no rubbing the knife is really well made and it's never been sharpened and take a look at that blade case tested xx now a lot of times when you have knives and they're being sold on ebay um, they'll have 
um, case XX in the title. So say case XX and it gets really confusing for a new person to case knives because everyone usually searches case XX. Well, there, you have a lot of different errors. I mean, uh, error, <laughs> you have a lot of different years that, that case uh, labeled their knives and they actually labeled their knives case XX for a period of time. So if you search that, that's what you're going to bring up. You're going to bring up those knives, uh, the earlier knives from the 1900s. Now, um, case tested is really old. Um, and that's even older. They don't even have pattern numbers stamped on these. So the only thing you'll have is a case tested stamp on the knife. All right, which is very small on this pen knife. This knife's almost three inches long, though. Um, and that's kind of hard to identify sometimes, so you have to do a little bit of research. These knives are custom quality. I'd put these up with any of the custom knives um, that I've had manufactured for me. These are in the $700 range. Um, this particular knife is worth anywhere from five to six hundred dollars i would i would even push for 550 on this particular model because there's the stag is really nice looking and uh it's uh it has no cracking a lot of the older ones it's a very thin piece of stag that they use very thin as you can see and a lot of them suffer from cracking towards the end this is a just a really nice example of one that's been done very well done very well done case tested small pin knife made of stag beautiful knife stag is one of the more popular choices excuse me of knife handle material and the reason stag is and I'm gonna tell you why for knife for for uh, knife collectors I'm gonna show you something right quick that is just amazing right now this knife is a custom-made knife, all right? And this individual is really famous for picking some just incredible uh, handle materials for his knives. Um, this is Tim Burton. Uh, he makes a really nice knife. Um, but these knives will pull different prices. Now, he's really good at making sure that every single one has incredible stag-along handles, right? All right, but a lot of these companies don't. So you can order a stag handled knife and it can look not that great. Uh, stag can look all kinds of different ways. It can look all knotty and just gnarly, right? Or you can also have stag handles that are nice and smooth, right? And in all honesty, trends come and go. So when it comes to stag handles, uh, I would, you might want to pick something that looks really, really good. And, and the reason why is you can pull an extra $100 to $200 on a knife with really nice stag handles, okay? And there's a big difference. You can look at these Northwood examples that were made by GEC. Um, this one has some particular nice stag on it. And if I place this up, up on eBay compared to the other ones that are up online, that particular one would pull a much higher premium. And the reason why is because it looks good. It's not a, a, a poor choice by the artist that made that particular knife. Even on production knives, such as case-handled knives, I mean case knives, you got a standard knife like this, right? 
Um, now on the other side, check out that stag, right? Now for a production knife, that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. Um, some people aren't a fan of the way it was done, but they're, when it's that gnarly and that knotty, that's the good portion of the antler right there. And uh, people are willing to pay for that. All right, so this particular knife would be something that I would say it's a hand-picked knife. Uh, it's something that I'm going to charge probably an extra $10 for if I was to sell it. Uh, because later on, when this knife matures and it becomes a valuable asset, that stag on that particular knife is going to raise its price just like it would on an older knife such as this or on a Northwoods like this. When it looks that nice... That's what people are looking for. They're gonna look for a Northwoods knife or they're gonna look for a Case XX knife as an example. When you're about to spend $500 on a knife, they're more than willing to spend an extra $50 to get the nice looking one. And unfortunately, not all of them are good examples of that. The Case XX tested knives though, most of them do look good though. So there was a little bit more pride because they, I mean, they had a hand make these and at the end of the day, they had a stack of knives next to them and their supervisors looked at them, you know? Um, so there was some pride there. So if I'd have to say one of my more valuable, rarest knives, I would have to go with this rare example of a case pin knife uh, that was manufactured probably in the 30s, if not the 40s, but the stamp is from the 1920s. So this is from the 1920s, 1940s era of knives. So this knife is almost 100 years old, unused with the factory edge. That's pretty amazing. That makes it pretty rare and a good example of a knife, for instance, that if you had a collection, this would be one knife that someone would pull out and eventually it'd end up maybe in the knife museum or in a, a really nice collection. I always try to get the best examples of whatever I'm gonna do. Sometimes you can't, and I understand that if you're dealing with uh, knives that are just heavy users like trappers, it's really hard to find a knife like that that's been unused or something like that. Um, so what do we have next? Boy, I'll tell you, we're at 10 minutes and uh, Oh my goodness, I'm about to lose my battery. Hold on one second, folks. Um, I'm on my laptop here. All righty, here we go. We're gonna just plug that in. Okay, sorry about that interruption. Okay. If I could promote a product though, I would promote my own brand of mineral oil. There. Some mineral oils are not created equal, and so I don't want to say that you can go to any place. Uh, you might have different experiences on your mineral oil. Your mineral oil is what you use to preserve your knives. It's non-toxic, and it just works fantastic. I have had some comments that in a real humid environment, maybe in Florida or in Japan or something like that, you have to use something like ballastol or something of that nature. I would even venture to say this would be fine. If you're indoors, um, even if you're in a humid closet, even in Japan, I spent 10 years in Japan, I use mineral oil there. That is the most humid climate you can possibly imagine. Yes, it, it does beat Florida out. And I didn't personally have a problem with any of my knives rusting or having an issue. I did use a lot of ballastol back then too. So 
I didn't like Ballastol because number one, it's a chemical, gets on your hands, and you can start to feel that, especially when you're dealing with a lot of knives and you have these chemicals that, that are absorbing into your skin, you're smelling them, you're, you're, you're cutting food with your knives or whatever. Ballastol is great for guns. Okay, um, and I'm a gun collector also. Behind me, you can see that I have a few maybe muskets. These are replicas. <clears throat> and these are real beautiful. These are just gorgeous muskets right here. Um, this is a black powder, 50 cal um, musket. Extremely accurate. And it's not like the old muskets that you would... Uh, it's, it's modern day rifling. And uh, yeah, you can make your own ammunition with these things. Uh, you got your uh, cap and you load it this way you got your everything goes down that way nothing goes through this way like a like a cannon or something like that and it's real fun to shoot um i enjoy these very much Well, that was just a little look at one of my muskets that i have hanging up behind me i do have people watching so i thought i would share that real quick um so we have the size of my collection. How big is Doggo Running's collection? Um, it's large. Um, I would I would venture to say, well, just here in front of me, I have about 300 knives. And these are my travel companions. I would venture to say I have close to 1,000 knives. Close to 1,000. Um, the majority of my nice knives are here with me now. I have a few extremely valuable ones that I don't. Uh, those are locked up. Um, those are mostly special knives for me. They are valuable, but there's something I would never sell. Um, so I have, uh, Lawn Humphreys apprenticeship knives. I have three of those and, uh, that's where he get, earned his, uh, uh, apprenticeship for, uh, blacksmith. And that was really special. I have, th I have three examples of that, which are just incredible knives. I have those in a case. I also have um, I have a Japanese knife that I really like also that looks like the end of a samurai sword. And uh, I'm, I'm going to leave that a mystery. I am going to do a video, another video on that knife. That, that video was very popular. And uh, so we'll just keep that on the back burner. I don't want to get too distracted. Um, so sentimental knives, my most sentimental knife would have to be my father's knife. Uh, this is one example of my father's knife, father's knives. This was what he used for his Civil War reenacting. And, uh, you know, it's special. Uh, it's sharp. I know, he, I know he'd probably pull this out, whip around, and act like the big man. He was a, he was a tall, big guy. and um, Yeah, cause I, so I could imagine him wielding this it's made in germany it's nothing real special it's razor sharp but i am a fan of german knives uh we're going to go into that in a second when you see the knives below here you're just gonna be blown away that you don't collect this tang stamp or this company or whatever you want to call it it is an amazing company it's completely underestimated but i just checked and prices have climbed significantly so obviously somebody's done a video on it or something i have no clue but anyway uh yeah that's so that's my father's Bowie knife 
Very special knife to me. Uh, it's got a custom-made sheath, so it would uh, match the era. And it goes in like that. Now, oh, look at this blade. I'm just, I, I told you guys I was going to show you a fantastic blade. Look at that sucker. That's a $20 blade. These are the Japanese traditional uh, boys' knives. Now, these are the larger versions of that. I've done a video on this on my YouTube channel. Now, if you're listening to this via podcast, you can always email me and contact me via my YouTube channel. And uh, unfortunately, if you can't see this, knives are very visual. Um, but I have found that knife guys can talk knives all day. So, But you can pick these up for like 20 bucks. Just a real nice knife. Beauty. A lot of Japanese folks still carry these to this day. A lot of the carpenters, carpenteros. All right, so the next company we're going to go over is a company called Bruckman. Okay. Bruckman is a German company. And it's one of my favorite companies to look at. Boo! Man, I tell you what, they're so beautiful. I don't even know where to start. Okay, check this out. Mm. A little coffee to organize this one. All right, for those of you that can visually see this, you can see how beautiful these scales are. These are pearl-handled scales, very, very popular. How can you tell if something's pearl? It's cold to the touch. Uh, my hands don't really feel that stuff, so I got put it to your face, put it to your chin, and you'll feel a really cold tingle. That is a pearl-handled knife. That's not a piece of plastic or something like that. Bruckman is famous for, and, and they started out, the dating on that is anywhere from the eight, 1891 to 1956. So these are older knives, but look at the detail of these knives. These are just amazing. Uh, this is, these knives have everything from tortoise shelled uh, toothpicks to little spoons so people could snort their tobacco or whatever they used to do back then. It's got this very interesting, and you don't see these very often anymore, probably because of cost, cost cutting. But it's an interesting nail file. It's a nail file that folds out from the back. You can kind of see right here if you're looking via video. And when they fold out, they lay out horizontally so you can do your nails. All right, and there is so you don't have to actually move the knife back and forth, right? But you can lay the knife down and utilize the, uh, the whole thing. It's, it's just a lot better. And it's, it's actually pretty incredible. Look how thick that is and beautiful. They are famous for what's called a crocus polish. Now, if you can see my reflection in that, which those of you listening via the podcast cannot I highly recommend that you go to Dog Go Running and uh, check out my live episode 2 check this out 
no distortion. Okay, you see that where there was a little blade rub, but if you can see this, there is absolutely no distortion in the reflection of these knives. And that's because they polished them to a level that is not done anymore. Uh, if you look at, you know, you can look at stainless steel blades that uh, Case does, and, and maybe uh, if you haven't compared the two, you'd say, wow, I, well, my Case knife is that, is that shiny. Okay, I will show you guys a Northwoods very shiny uh, knife but I want but if you can't see this but what what happens is instead of the image not being distorted like a mirror the image will be distorted okay and that's how we polish knives to this day okay we don't go to the level that Bruckman did now if you can see you have a distorted image Let's see if I can get my lips on there again and that's a distorted image. You cannot get a standard image out of the polish of today, and that's just the way it is. So you basically get an, an awesome mirror polish with these Bruckmans. Um, Bruckman also makes uh, the stag-handled uh, knives, buffalo horn knives, And I want you to see this center punch. They have these awes on these things that are just absolutely incredible. I'm gonna take out both of these. I tell you, bam. Don't wanna get stabbed with that, huh? Look at these suckers. These are solid ingots of sharpened steel that come out of the side of these knives. And you can punch a hole through anything with these like a leather belt or a pair of shoes or whatever you need to do um just amazing <whistles> telling you this particular one i'm showing off on the internet is made out of buffalo horn um this one has a stripe of white buffalo horn in there Now, when you pick up these knives, you want to see if it's been polished or repolished or cleaned because you can mess up the crocus polish or the new finish on these. So you don't want you want to check that. Incredible, huh? Absolutely incredible. So I would recommend Bruckman knives to anybody. The prices are climbing very quickly. Um, as we speak probably and what we need to do is probably get more of those in our collection so for me personally my goal uh, one one particular brand i'm probably going to increase uh purchasing of is bruckman knives and those are german made knives um, if you listen to my podcast and or my live video here you are really getting a heads up i've made some very good decision-making uh, when it comes to collecting knives and what increases in value and what's going to be desirable and what's not. I jumped on the bushcraft thing well before the bushcraft thing ever took off. And what's amazing about that is $10 knives became $40 knives. Um, so these are the things that you need to do to increase your collection or you're going to end up in the poorhouse. Um, you know, knowledge is power and then, and collecting knives is knowledge and the more knowledge you have the better you can equip or bring your collection together um, if you're not too good at organizing get somebody that is get somebody that can help you tailor your collection 
to give it some sort of theme or something that makes you feel good. So you don't have maybe one knife roll you love and another knife roll you, you kind of despise, right? So it's very important to make good decisions. Well, we're going to end this live and we're going to end this podcast and uh, take care. Have a great day. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, and you know what? American companies also utilized that filing system. Here's a king cutter. And this is a king cutter. So American knives also. Now look at the beautiful colors of the king cutters pearl handles. They just don't make knives like this anymore. They just don't. I don't even think the resource is there anymore to get that kind of quality. I don't know. All right, take care. Enjoy your day. I'm out. So I had to end that stream, folks. All right, take care, guys. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If if anything, just listen to me in the background. Uh, feel free to contact me and give me any advice. I'm all new to this, and I really appreciate it. Take care. Doggo running out. Do, do, do.